Our passage this morning is again in Luke chapter 8. We'll be looking this morning at Luke chapter 8, uh, verses 16 to 21. Luke 8, verses 16 to 21. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is the word of the Lord, the inerrant, inspired, and authoritative word of the Lord. Can you please be seated? And let's pray again together. Almighty God, as we hear your word this morning, we pray that you would write its eternal inerrant, authoritative, and inspired truths upon our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would work through the power of your Spirit to help us all to hear and to believe and to respond in obedience to you. Lord, we pray that you would help us Lord, to see you in your word and to see how your word speaks to us, how it applies to us. Help us all to listen intently. Lord, to receive with our hearts. We pray that you'd help us all to grow in our love and worship and obedience to you through the proclamation of your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure that you have spent time looking at family photos. And have you ever noticed how similar some of these family members look? There are physical characteristics that run in families. You can see how often kids have their their dad's nose or their mom's eyes. And you can even look at old photos of grandparents and see those traits that actually continue back for generations. Well, there's one characteristic that's common in our family. And I don't mean our natural family. I mean our spiritual family. I mean the church. I'm talking about our ears. I'm talking about our ears. I think most of us have good ears. You can see the family resemblance in our ears. I think most of the people in this church listen well. Now, people like people who are good listeners. Being a good listener means you care about the person who is speaking to you. It's usually a sign of humility. That when you're listening to someone, you think that what they're saying is the most important thing at the moment, not what is going on in your own mind. But there are some people who are not good listeners. And you know what it's like to talk to someone who isn't a good listener. They want you to hurry up and finish what you're saying so that they can say what they want to say. 
And such people often speak without punctuation. Everything that they say is one long sentence. They've learned not to end their sentences so that someone else is unable to get a word in edgewise. They only want to listen to themselves. Well, it's, it's wise and it's just good manners to be a good listener with other people. But what ultimately, ultimately matters is how you listen to God. How you listen to God demonstrates what you think of God. We must have good ears to hear the word of God rightly. All over the Old Testament, you see commands to listen to the word of God, to hear the word of the Lord. But as you read through the scriptures, you, you can see that, that most of the time, Israel did not listen very well. And the same was true during the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many heard, but few listened. Not much has changed. Half a world and a thousand sorry, and thousands of years away. It's not just Israel that doesn't listen very well. But I think listening is a strength in our church. I think people in this church want to listen to the Word of God for the most part. Now, of course, we all have room for growth, but I think most of us are here because you want to hear the Word of God. There are other churches you could go to in the city where the, church, where the preaching is much more entertaining. There are other churches where, where everything is much more polished. But I think you're here because you want the undiluted word of God. And praise God for that. Praise God that, 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 the, that the teaching of this church lines up with the word of God and is, is centered on the word of God and, and is, is make is is fixated on not deviating from the Word of God. We, we praise God that you are here because you want this. We praise God for other churches in the city, and there are sadly very few that, that holds to the inerrancy and the authority of God's Word, of the entirety of God's Word. As I said, I, I think that for the most part, this church is, is good at this. This church has good ears. But we can't just sit around patting ourselves on the back as though we've got it all perfect. We need to be careful too. Even if you love hearing the word of God preached, you still need to be careful how you hear. That's what this passage is about. It's a warning to be careful how you hear. Luke 8, verses 16 to 21, follows on from the, the parable of the sower, as we saw last week, in verses 4 to 15, which is the re, this response to Jesus' proclamation of the good news of the kingdom. How one hears the word of God reveals their spiritual state. This, this passage is essentially a practical application of the parable of the sower. Right hearing isn't just about getting the meaning right. It's about hearing with your heart and responding with your life. Orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. Right hearing leads to right doing. As the crowds followed Jesus, there were some genuine disciples there, but the majority were just crowds. 
the majority had come to hear Jesus teaching for sinful and selfish reasons. And so Jesus is taught that parable to show that, that many of the people who were there, who were at least physically following him, were not truly following him. And so the response to Jesus' teaching here reveals who's who. Your response to Jesus' teaching reveals who you are as well. Are you a hearer only, or are you a doer of God's word? As Jesus declared in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus' sheep don't just hear Jesus. Jesus' sheep follow Jesus. There are basically two sections in this passage, in verses 16 to 18 and verses 19 to 21, and I see it broken down like this. First of all, in verses 16 to 17, we see that Jesus' light reveals. And then in verse 18, how you hear Jesus' words reveals the truth about your final destiny. And then in the second section, in verses 19 to 20, we see that Jesus' family comes to him. And then in verse 21, how you obey Jesus reveals the truth about your family. So in the first section, in verses 16 to 18, we have a syllogism, which is a logical statement with a major premise, a minor premise, and then a conclusion. The major premise is that light reveals. The minor premise is that all things will be revealed by the light. And then the conclusion is that the light of Jesus' teaching will reveal the truth about your eternal state. So that's really, that sums up the first section. Jesus is essentially saying that how you hear his teaching reveals who you are. How you, reveal, uh, how you hear Jesus' teaching reveals the status of your relationship with God. It declares whether you are a believer or an unbeliever. Those who hear Jesus' word rightly will be blessed with more revelation from God and with more blessings from God. But those who do not, who do not hear rightly will lose not just the revelation that they think they have, but they will lose everything. So in verse 16, Jesus teaches using an illustration. Some would call it a parable, saying, No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. In ancient Israel, people would use a a saucer-shaped dish made out of terracotta, and there would be a a little handle on one end and a spout on the other end that a wick would go to, and and two little holes in the top, one one through which you could pour, into which you'd pour oil, and the other for for air to enter, and they would light the wick, and then this lamp would, this lamp would, would light up the room. Now, it would be foolishness, to take this, this little lamp with a, with a lit fire and put it under a jar. Because not only would the, not only would the, the oxygen run out of the jar and the, the light would go out, but, but you, would, you, you wouldn't be able to see the light at all. It, it would be useless to have, it would be foolishness to have a, a light under a jar. It would also be foolishness to have a light under a bed. Now, beds in that day were, were mats that were laid flat on the floor. And if you were to, to, to put a bed over a, over, a, a, uh, over a lit fire, it would be like the, the Midnight Oil song. Your bed would be burning. And you also would not see the light. It would be, it would be foolishness. But what you do if you have a light is you, you put on a stand. And so in, in, 
in ancient Israel, in those homes, they would have either a pedestal where the light was, was sitting, or they'd have a, a little uh, brick that would sit out from the rest of the wall where they would set the light on top of it, and it would light up the entire room. Now, that seems obvious. This is, again, this is taking something that was familiar to that Jesus hears and that had a profound spiritual application. Jesus is proclaiming that the light is God's word. And what Jesus proclaims is the light of God's word. And each person is responsible for how they hear it. Everyone who receives this light, either everyone who hears about this, either receives the light or rejects the light. As we saw in the parable of the sower, the, the majority of those who, who hear what Jesus is teaching reject the light. They either reject it outright because the, the, the devil takes away the seed that was, was sown, or they, they appear to receive it, and, and they, but they have no root in themselves because the, the seed was planted on a rock. And so when, when, when difficulties come, whether it's trials or, or temptations or persecution comes, the, 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 the plant withers because it has no root. And so they appeared to believe for a while, but they are truly among those who have rejected. Likewise, there are those for whom the, the cares and, and pleasures and riches of life distract them. So that the word is choked out, it becomes unfruitful. So these are also people who, again, appeared to be growing for a time, but have proved themselves to be unbelievers, the way they have rejected the word of God. They have rejected the light. Now when the, the good seed falls on bad soil, it's not the fault of the seed. When it doesn't bear fruit, the, the, the problem is with the soil. It's, it's not the fault of the sower. The responsibility is in the seed to receive, to believe what is being proclaimed. Now, when, when we think about the, the, the light of Christ, it's, it's not just shining on you to give you intellectual knowledge. The light of Christ has shone on you to change you for the glory of God. If the light of Jesus sh truly shines on you, the light of Jesus will shine through you. If the light of Jesus has truly shone on you, it, the light of Jesus will shine through you. That's what light does. Even in, we see this even in the laws of physics. But how much more the light of Christ Remember, this passage is about the fruitfulness of God's word. Only those who hear the word and hold fast to the word are those who bear fruit from the word. Luke 8, 15. The light of the word of God comes to produce fruit in your life. Fruit for the glory of God in your life. The reality will shine through. Luke 8.10, Jesus said that the disciples had been given the secrets of the kingdom of God, but it was hidden from others so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And so the, 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 the ministry of parables that Jesus taught actually concealed the light to a certain extent. It was only those who were the select few who Jesus further taught and revealed the truth to them. It's only those select few who, have been given the, who would be given the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word of God in their lives. 
Jesus taught in veiled messages through parables, but his disciples do not, do not have the same mandate. You don't see the disciples teaching in parables. You don't see the disciples veiling the truth, but proclaiming the truth. That was true of those first disciples, and it is true of all disciples. If you are a Christian, you are compelled to proclaim the truth. Yes, we have, we have conflicting things and fears and doubts and, and distractions that, that, that sometimes keep us from, from our faithfulness in this, but, but a Christian cannot help but proclaim the word and grow in the proclamation of the word. It's something that burns in you, that you, you have to tell people about Jesus. As I said last week, if, if, if this is not in your life, if this is something that, that, you, that you really struggle with, and, and some of us do, then ultimately it's a heart problem. And you need to ask the Lord to, to help you to repent of a lack of love for him. To, and to a lack of love for others, so that, that you are instead faithful to proclaim the, the word of God. The, the apostles were to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations, Luke 24, 47. And that's our mandate too, to proclaim the light of Christ broadly. Like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us imploring people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And then in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, you, the, the, you have the gospel in one verse. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Have others seen the light of Jesus through you? When you take a trip to the grocery store or to the bank, or you're walking your dog in your neighborhood, when you encounter unbelievers, you encounter people who are living in darkness. They need the light of Jesus. J.C. Ryle says that the highest form of selfishness is that of the man who is content to go to heaven alone. What would you say of a lighthouse operator who, who couldn't be bothered to turn on the light? And ship after ship was destroyed on the rocks. But he didn't see it as a priority to turn on the lights. You'd, you would wonder whether he himself was shipwrecked. Evangelism is a key part of the light. And he's shining the light, but it is not only evangelism. It is all of your good works that shine the light of Jesus Christ. We see this in Matthew 5, 14 to 16. Please Turn with me in your, in your Bible there for a moment. Matthew 5, verses uh, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So again, here Jesus is saying, this is very parallel, that, that, you, are, that you are the light of the world. Disciples are the light of the world. And you would not put a lamp under a basket, but instead you put it on a stand so that all can see. 
And in verse 16, you are to let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify God. Good soil produces all kinds of good fruit. What fruit is your life demonstrating? Is it the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, 22 to 23? The, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is this the, the, the kind of fruit that your life is exhibiting? This isn't multiple choice. This is, these are all going to be there to a certain extent in the life of all believers. The life of the Christian is, is characterized by these things. And, and yes, we fail, but, but it's characterized by these things and growth in these things. Ryan Fullerton, my, my pastor in Louisville, talked about the, the peach tree that he had in his backyard. Now, he's, he's moved since then. I don't know if he has a peach tree now. But, but he says that if he were to go out, I've used this illustration before, that if he was going to go out in June and, and see these, these little nubs of, of peaches, he wouldn't cut down the tree. He would notice that there's fruit. Yes, it's, it's small. Yes, it's not much, much fully mature, but the fruit is there. And if he came back then in, in, I don't sure exactly when peaches are ripe in, in Louisville, probably a little before here, but, but here would be in late July. If the, the peaches, if you come back in late July and, and the peaches are, are still these little nubby things, these little green nubby things, then you've got a problem with your tree. But when the time comes, when the harvest comes, the, the fruit should be mature. These, these, I'm making myself hungry again here, these, these big juicy peaches. And in the Believer, fruit grows because of the, the tilling of the soil of our hearts by the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit's working in our hearts to sanctify us, to cause us to grow in Christ's likeness. This is true of, of all believers. Jesus, um, Jesus continues here in in Matthew and sorry, in Luke eight seventeen, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Again, has the light of the gospel shone on you, and has the light of the gospel shone through you? Have others seen God's light shining through you? And again, this is not just just sharing the gospel as vitally important as this is, but has the gospel changed your life so that it is evident to others? Can others in your, your family, in your church family, testify of God's work in your life? And what about your unbelieving friends and, and neighbors and coworkers? Can they say, yes, I don't always agree with him or her, but, but I see there's, this person is different because they believe in Jesus Christ. Nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known to, and come to light. And so this is true to a certain extent now, but this will be true fully on the final day, on the day of judgment. Jesus says very similarly in Luke 12, 2 and 3, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be, that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. Whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Those whispered conversations, those secret sins, will all be revealed on that day. Every single one of them. Everything will be revealed about you. 
Again, this, this is ultimately speaking of final judgment, when all that is secret will come to light. And it won't just be about the, the light that others see, but what the omniscient God sees. You can deceive others. You can deceive yourself. But one day, every hypocrisy and every sin will be plain to see. Abraham Lincoln is quoted as saying, you can fool all the people some of the time and some of the people all the time, but you cannot fool all the people all the time. Now that might be true, but you can never fool God any of the time. Similarly, John MacArthur says that time and truth go hand in hand. Given enough time, the truth comes out for men to see. But the truth is never hidden from God. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, verses 24 and 25, the sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sin of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, even those that cannot remain hidden. You can deceive yourself, but you cannot deceive God. God sees it all. God sees good works, and God sees sins, and he revealed them all on that day. So be on guard. Examine yourself and repent of any hypocrisy and any sin that you see in your life. How much better is it to deal with that now? For the unbeliever, the exposure of sin will add to their shame and will, will prove that they are justly deserving of their condemnation before the holy God. Friends, if you are here this morning as an unbeliever, your only hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will stand before God on that day. If you're trying to stand in your own righteousness or in anything else, you're in for a very rude awakening. Your only hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you're for the believer, for the one who does believe in Jesus Christ, for the, the one who, who is following Jesus Christ, who is walking in repentance and faith. Yes, your sins will be revealed there as well. But not for shame, not for condemnation. But your sins will be revealed so that the glory of God in his grace and mercy will be evident on your life. I know I've had people before really, really arc up at this. They, they did not like the thought of, of, their, their, of everything, even their, their sins being exposed. I get that. But there will be no tears on that day. There, there will be no discouragement for the, for the believer on that day. It's, this will be rejoicing for you as, as you and everyone sees the glory of God. And his forgiveness of a sinner like you and a sinner like me. And I know some of us with, with sensitive consciences are, are even who tr are truly believers, but are really struggling with this. And maybe, maybe you're struggling with, with assurance of salvation. And, and again, this is, this is a relatively common thing. And if that is an issue for you, please do come and talk to me. And, and I would love to walk through 1 John and other passages of Scripture with you to help you to see and to understand your eternal state. 
But some of us, we, we, we fear, even real Christians who fear that, that we'll be condemned on that day. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that it will not be condemnation, but commendation. When we stand before God as Christians, you will receive commendation from God. Because if you stand before God as a Christian, you aren't standing in your own righteousness. You're standing in the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to you, granted to you, credited to your account. So you will stand on that day with the status of the Son. And the reality of the way you live your life now in the leading up to that moment proves whether you are truly a disciple, whether you truly are one who was born again. So Jesus concludes a statement. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. Take heed. Be careful what you hear. As we heard in Luke 8.8, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. We all have ears. But do we have ears to hear? This is the theme of the whole passage, going all the way back to verse 4. There are major consequences for how you hear. I've touched on these already. To the one who has, more will be given. To, to the one who hears rightly, who receives the word, who believes the word, and holds fast to the word, the one, to the one who bears good fruit, to the true disciple, to the Christian, they will receive more. They will receive even greater blessing than they've already received. The one who has, more will be given. You'll receive spiritual blessing. You, you receive spiritual blessing though, even now, don't you? you? You receive the spiritual blessing of being able to glorify God with your life. You were once, you were once dishonoring God, rebelling against God with your life, but, but now by God's grace you are living for His glory. This is among the greatest of privileges that we have as Christians. To shine the light of God, to glorify God in the way we live our lives. John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So you will receive, and now and growing in this life, but that much more on that day, you will receive even greater spiritual insight and greater spiritual understanding. In other words, you're, you, all the way to that time, you're going to grow in the knowledge of God. Not just of facts about God, but the intimate knowledge of God. All the way through your life, and then culminating on that day, and continuing for all eternity. You will grow in the intimate knowledge of God. When Jesus is unveiled before our eyes. We see him in his glory. Now, often think about that moment, about what it's going to be like to see Jesus for the first time. And to know that that moment is going to continue for all eternity. That throughout eternity, I'm going to grow in, in the knowledge of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that your hope? Is that your hope? But for the unbeliever, the opposite is true. For the one who has not, for the one who rejects the word of God, 
for the one who rejects the word outright, for the one who rejects the word when they face trials, for the one who rejects the word when their, their fruit is choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, for the one who is not a disciple, for the non-Christian, there will be consequences as well. For the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. They think they're okay. They think they're righteous. They think that they're good with God. They think that they're spiritual. They think that their fruit is bright, but they are self-deceived. And they will lose even what they think they have. They will be left with nothing. They will be spiritually destitute. They are spiritually destitute, and it will be plain and obvious to them and to everyone else that they are indeed spiritually destitute. Any spiritual insight that they had will be taken away. I've seen this happen quite often in my Christian life and especially in my ministry. Now, I've seen a lot of good soil in my walk. I've seen a lot of people, many, including many in this room, bearing fruit for the glory of God. But I've also seen a lot of bad soil. People who are spiritually self-sufficient, who reject the word of God outright. People who seem at first to be Christians, but when, when challenges or trials or persecution comes they, from the world, they drift away. When things that, that compete with the word and the, the, the issues of this life compete with the word, the, the word takes second place and they reject the word and choose the world. I've seen this happen so often. Any spiritual insights that they've had grow dimmer and dimmer until the light is extinguished often forever. Unless they repent, they will be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew, 5, 20, sorry, Matthew 25, 30. As I said last week, church is a dangerous place. It's a dangerous place. Listening to the word of God is dangerous. And of course, the majority here are listening to the word and are responding to the word with faith and obedience. And some who, who hear the, the proclamation from this church will, will respond in repentance and faith. Some will get saved under the ministry of this church. But if you hear the proclamation of the word of God week in, week out, and harden your hearts to it, you are in a worse place than you were if you had never heard in the first place talk more about this when we get to Luke 12, but, but those who knew the master's will and did not get ready or act in accordance to his will will receive a more severe beating than those who did not know. Now both will receive a, beat, a beating, those who knew and those who did not know, but the beating is worse for the ones who did not respond in faith and obedience. So then we need to be careful how we hear. Are you careful how you hear? Did you come to church this morning with a sense of expectancy, eager to hear from the Word of God? Did you come to church this morning with a heart that was prepared to submit to whatever the Word of God teaches? Did you come with repentance, having dealt with sins that, that you have committed over the week, confessing them to God and confessing them to others that you have sinned against? A couple of weeks ago, Vince sent an email to the, the men from the men's Bible study including an excellent resource from C.H. Spurgeon on, on how to listen to a sermon. Now, time isn't going to allow me to, to go through the whole thing, but let me just share a couple of points. 
He talked about, about spiritual preparations and physical preparations prior to coming to church on Sunday. So reading the Word, and especially where we do sequential expositional preaching in this, in this church, we, we, you know what's coming next. And so you can read the Word and prepare your heart to hear from the Word of God. You can be ex exploring, saying, what does, what does this mean? What does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about myself? How can I teach my family from these principles? So you've, you've prepared your heart in the Word, and you've been praying over the Word. Praying also for the, the preparation of the preacher. Praying that your heart would be soft and receptive to the Word. He also included the physical preparations, like, like remembering that, that Sunday morning starts Saturday evening. So making sure to, to get enough sleep. This is an area that, that I really need to work on. Don't feed yourself with entertainment on Saturday evening, or things that are going to distract you so that your mind is filled with these other things on Sunday instead of, of what God is teaching you from the Word of God. Being prepared the evening before so you can get to church early. Again, there's things on this list that I, I need to work on as well. But Spurgeon also provided several suggestions on, on how to listen at church. He said, greet one another warmly. And then make sure you've brought your Bible and then follow along as the, the passage is being preached from. Take notes if it helps you. Now, not everybody is helped by notes, but if you're the kind of person that, that it helps you to think, I know we have some really good note takers in this church, then... then and really take advantage of that and, and then make sure you go back and look at it again afterward. Fight off distractions. Think about, don't be thinking about, wow, okay, how long is this guy going to go this morning? Looking at your watch. Being eager to get out of there instead of being eager to hear from the Word of God. These are, are practical things that you can do to hear. You could be praying not just prior, but you could be praying during the service. Praying for yourself, for the, the, your own reception of the, of the word. Praying for others in the, in the congregation. Praying for me as I preach. Please do that. Even how you sing. How, how you sing the, the songs. And Joshua does a very good job of choosing the, the hymns that we're going to sing prior to the proclamation of the word and, and think of things that is, are going to help us to prepare our hearts for, for worship the Lord in general and, and especially from this particular passage. Now, by coming to church, having prepared yourself to get the most out of the message, you're going to gain an even, gain an even better, greater blessing from the, the word of the Lord. You wouldn't go to, to work unprepared. You wouldn't seek to teach your children unprepared. Well, how much more should you prepare to hear the word of God so that you hear rightly? Now, the second section of the passage, and I'm going to be more brief here, this, the second section of the passage provides a further application of what Jesus has been teaching already. Essentially, it's this. It's how you obey Jesus reveals the truth about your family. And it reveals who you are. In verse 19, Jesus' mother and brothers come to see Jesus, but they, they can't get to him because the crowd is so large. And so they're, they're there on the periphery of the crowd trying to get to Jesus, but they can't get there. Matthew and Mark place this incident immediately before the parable of the sower. And Luke here immediately after. Now, this is the first time we've heard anything about Mary since Luke chapter 2. And it's, it's the first time we've heard anything about Jesus' brothers at all. 
contrary to Roman Catholic tradition, that Mary was a perpetual virgin. Jesus had brothers and sisters. His brothers are mentioned here and, and by name in, uh, in Matthew 13, 55. James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. And his sisters are mentioned, though not by name, in verse 56. But Roman Catholic tradition deals with this by saying that, that, that these must be references to children that, that, that um, Joseph had prior, from a previous marriage. Well, that, that's just a fiction. That's just, just made up. Now, they are Jesus' half-brothers, right? Because, because they are, Jesus is the son of Mary, but Joseph is, is his adopted father. He's not Jesus' father, ultimately. Jesus' father is, is God the Father. The Roman Catholic Church also suggests that, that these so-called brothers might be cousins. But the words that's translated cousins here is, is never used in Scripture to refer to cousins, only brothers, or brothers or, and or sisters. Likewise, there's no biblical support for Mary's perpetual virginity. Quite the opposite of Matthew 125, where Joseph knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Now, I don't think there's anybody in this church that, that holds to these false doctrines, but we also need to be careful that our traditions, as strong as they might be and as cherished as they might be, do not trump Scripture. To let, to let tradition trump Scripture is certainly not to hear rightly. So Mary and Jesus' siblings come to Jesus but can't get to him. And they, they send word to Jesus that they desire to see him. But Jesus doesn't go to them. Instead, he answers, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus doesn't come just at, at Mary's beck and call. This also counters the Roman Catholic veneration of Mary. But Jesus isn't criticizing or condemning his family here, even though they're not presented as the model disciples. In fact, later on in Jesus' ministry in John 7, 5, we're told that, that Jesus' brothers did not yet believe in him. Now we know that at least for excuse me, at least for James, that James will become a disciple. So Jesus is, is not condemning or criticizing his family, nor is he rejecting his family. Now we're going to see Jesus' family again in the course of his ministry. From the cross, Jesus is going to ensure that his mother is looked after by committing her to John's care, John 19, 26, and 27. What Jesus is saying here is that he is aligning himself with those who hear and obey the word of God. Now, there's not a one-to-one -one correlation here for, here for us because we are not the Messiah, and our families are a large part of our ministry. Many of us have unbelieving family members that, that we seek to witness to. Many of us have, have young children who are not yet believers, and, and they are part of our ministry. But the question here and the application for us is, do you put the Lord first? Is the Lord your greatest priority, even above your family? I have many friends who have, have given up the comforts of, of home and hearth to, to follow the Lord as, as missionaries overseas, and, and I hope and pray that some even from our midst will become missionaries. And we'll leave home to go out of obedience to Jesus. Now, we're not all called to be missionaries in that sense. But, but the question again is, does your family take priority over your service to God? Well, the bigger question is, does anything 
take priority over your service to God. But, but here, this is something that cuts close to home because we love our families, we, we, and we should. We care for our families. But the Word of God must have first priority in your life above everything. And so your faithfulness to God's message, even above your family. Now, family is important, but our service to God is the ultimate priority for the believer. You know, a man once told me that, that he would sin to protect his family. And then only a few months later, he did. He did sin in a, in, in a misguided attempt to protect his family. And in so doing, he did not protect his family at all. In fact, his family is still reaping the effects of that choice, of that sinful choice. Jesus must take priority. Obedience to Jesus must take priority over everything, even over the family that you love. And so Jesus says, those who are my, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do the word of God. It's not just a matter of, of, of hearing. Again, it's not a matter of just of cognitive awareness or intellectual assent. Jesus does not want mere academics. Jesus wants disciples. Jesus wants you as a disciple. It's not a matter of merely nodding your head in agreement when the word is preached. It's speaking and acting in accordance with what the word says. Again, this follows the parable of the sower. It's about hearing and it's about doing. Earlier, I re referenced Spurgeon's practical advice on how to listen. Um, J.C. Ra has some helpful thoughts, too. He says we need to hear with faith and reverence and prayer. Faith comes by hearing. Right? We know that. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of God. And, and Hebrews 4, 2. For good, new good news came to us just as to them, but the message that they heard did not benefit them because it was not united by faith with those who heard. So the word came but it was useless because it was not united by faith. It only actually brought judgment. You also need to hear with reverence. Proverbs 13, 13, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Will be rewarded. This is not just about having your Bible up high on a shelf like in, in Islam and, and having to, to ha follow all these practices in order to look after the Quran. The Bible is it is the, the words of the Bible because it teaches about Jesus take priority in our lives we don't just have our Bible up on a shelf or in, in a display behind glass but, but I hope your Bible is well worn I, I hope the pages are wrinkled and I hope that the, the edges are smudged from all of your, your reading the Bible pouring over it because you love the word, because you, you are obedient to the word, and you, you want to grow in your obedience to the word. So we hold the word of God with reverence because we hold God with reverence. Again, like I said earlier, how you respond to the word reveals how you feel about God. And we also hear the word with prayer. Now, this is true in your, your own Bible study. Then you pray before that the Spirit would illumine what it says and, and apply it to your heart. Then you, you're praying even as you're reading, and you, you pray after you read it too that God would, would write its truths, its eternal truths on your heart. 
And the same is true when, we, when you come to the preaching of the word, that you're praying beforehand, that you're praying even during and, and especially after as well, that, that God would help you to apply. Now, there's going to be distractions. There's going to be things, as soon as you stand up after the service, there's going to be thoughts that come rushing in. People are going to want to talk to you, and you're going to want to talk to them. But be careful that, that we are not, for others, distracting them but rather reinforcing that, that, we're, that we are not being distracted by others, but we're seeking to apply what we have learned. So to Ryle's, speaking of, of hearing with faith and, faith and reverence and prayer, this is very obvious in, in verse 21 that, we are all, that part of hearing rightly is obeying. My, brother and my, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. They hear the word of God and they do the word of God. In James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, we're warned not to be hearers only, but to be doers. Because the one who is a hearer only deceives himself. If you walk out of here having heard it and not committing to do it and following and doing it, then you are deceiving yourself. But the one who is a, is a hearer and not a doer is like the one who looks at his face in the mirror and then walks away and forget what he looks like. Do you walk away from the proclamation of God's word and forget what Jesus looks like? Do you walk away from the proclamation of, of God's word and, and forget what you look like before Jesus? Now again, these things don't, it, it, doesn't come, it, it doesn't come naturally, it comes supernaturally. This is not just a matter of, of willing yourself to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey, I'm going to do what this says. It's a matter of committing yourself to God, to work in your heart, to, to help you to desire to obey and to walk in obedience. Philippians 2, 13. So again, we, the one who looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James 1, 25. Jesus' light reveals. Jesus' light reveals the way to God and reveals whether someone is indeed in the way to God. So let us be careful not to rush into church being careless without, without thought for what we're doing when we gather together as the church. Those who hear the words of Jesus and obey the words of Jesus are those who are on the way to God. They are part of God's family. They are they're not those, those who hear but do not obey or are on their way instead to destruction. Being part of Jesus' family does not come from your own flesh and blood, but through Jesus' flesh and blood. Those who hear and obey Jesus prove that they are disciples. They prove that they have put their faith in Jesus' perfect obedience in his body and his sacrificial death as his blood was shed in their place. The one who believes the gospel will walk in the light of the gospel. And we here, many of us here, are the family of God. There is something unique that, that takes place when God calls a people together. 
And we see people from, from different countries and different backgrounds and ethnicities. And, and we, we see people from different age groups and, and walks of life coming together to worship God, loving each other. This is one of the things that has been purchased for us by the blood of Christ. There should be diversity in the church because diversity in the church reflects the gospel. And it, it anticipates that day when people from every tribe and tongue and nation are gathered together before the throne of Jesus with one eye on Jesus, with, with, their, with singulars, singularly looking at Jesus, worshiping Jesus together with one voice, praising Jesus. So our church then becomes a foretaste of that day as we walk together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you've ever traveled to, to other countries and, and visited churches in other countries, you, you know that you can experience that with believers from, from pretty much anywhere. I think of the, the many countries that, I, that I've been to and where, where even where I've, I've had to just, just kind of muddle through with the language. I've instantly had family. I remember it's about 25 years ago, I was, I was in Fiji and, and was, was in a very worldly environment. I was, I was, I was struggling. I've, sh I've shared the longer version of the story before, but, but I remember walking through the dark and, and trying to find my way to this church. There was no lights. It was pitch black. But, but as I was walking along this, this the sand road, I could, I could hear the, the sound of, as they're beating a, a log that was saying that the church was was going to, to start and then and then the log stopped stopped they stopped beating the log and the the singing started and i followed the singing to this church and this was some of the most beautiful singing i've ever heard in my life and and i walked into this church and was was welcomed people i've never met before and then as I talked with, with some of the men after the church, and I, just, I spoke no Fijian, and, but, but they spoke English, and they were able to converse with me and, and to encourage me in the word. This was, was a, one of the, the sweet moments that I experienced in my life as a Christian. But brothers and sisters, we, we get to experience something like that every week. As we come together to worship our Lord and our Savior together, we have family We've been adopted into God's family through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, you have brothers and sisters in Christ if you were a Christian. But far more than that, Jesus himself calls you his brother. Jesus calls you his brother. Men, you are the brother of Jesus. And in Matthew, he says, and sisters, sisters, you are the sisters of Jesus. Jesus is your family. Here he says that Jesus is your mother. Jesus is your brother. The one who hears the word of God and does it is the true Christian. The one who hears the command to repent and to believe and then obeys is a true believer. The one who hears the command to bear fruit in keeping with repentance and obeys is a believer. The one who hears the command to put to death the deeds of the flesh and does it is a true believer. The one who hears the command to work out your salvation with fear and trembling is a true believer because you're doing all of these things through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life. Yes, we do not do it perfectly. Thankfully, our, our, dependence, our, our, our salvation is not dependent on our obedience, but dependent on Christ's obedience. 
but true faith is shown in its works. James 2.26, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now notice here that James says that the body is dead without works. So the, the, it's not that the body is, so it's not that the body is dead because it doesn't have works, but it shows that it is dead because it has no works. Many years ago, a friend of mine was, was walking to university on a, on a cold winter's morning, and, and as he was walking there, he, he, saw, he saw someone lying there, not moving. And, and as he approached, he, he, this person didn't move, and it was, was very obvious because this person did not move that they were dead. This person had died somehow through the night and was, was frozen there. But it wasn't the lack of movement that made this man die. The lack of movement proved that he was dead. What does your obedience or lack of obedience say about you? Your obedience doesn't make you alive, but your obedience proves that you are alive. If there's a lack of obedience, you should be very, very concerned. So are you alive Show your life by the way you hear the word and respond to the word. Orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. Right hearing leads to right doing. May God empower us to hear his word and to obey his word for the glory of his name. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your holy word. Lord, what a privilege we have. Lord, many of us have several Bibles sitting on our shelves, but may they not just sit on, their shell, on our shelves, but may we open them and pour over them. Lord, for your words are the words of life. Help us, Lord, to hear your word and to obey your word. Help us to respond with faith and obedience. To everything that your word truly teaches. Help us to do this, I pray, for the glory of your name, for our good, and for the building of your church. Amen.